This week's podcast is sponsored by Direction. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the Investing with IBD podcast. It's Justin Nielsen here, your host. And I know last week we were talking about a wee time, uh, but guess what? Arusha ditched me. He actually had that other job that he does, uh, you know, for, for O'Neill Global Advisors. But that's okay because just as uh, Scott St. Clair was able to slip into Arusha's old <laughs> role at MarketSmith, uh, he's going to slip right into wee time uh, this week. Uh, Scott St. Clair, of course, is the uh, manager of our premium products group at Investors Business Daily. Uh, he's actually, you know, he's he's run a hedge fund himself before, uh, been a portfolio manager for O'Neill. And uh, yeah, it's great to have you on the show again, Scott. Thanks for being here. Yeah, it's always fun. And, you know, someday I hope that Arusha gets like the job as the head coach of the Raiders or something, because <laughs> I keep uh, I keep finding all the I keep getting his scraps, but his scraps are very, very good. So yeah. not not bad at all. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, we're taping a little bit earlier than we normally do. It's uh, it's Wednesday, May 31st, um, and we're actually taping this during market hours because both Scott and I have seniors in high school that are graduating today. Uh, so we're we're going to be right after the market close, uh, kind of doing our graduation prep ceremonies uh, for our for our girls. So that'll be fun. Um, but uh, we we also have to address uh, one of the things that we learned about this uh, this weekend was that uh, the founder of Investors Business Daily uh, passed away, Bill O'Neill, um, ninety years old. Uh, he had not not just a long life, but what an inspiring life. So we'll talk a little bit about uh, some of the lessons that we learned from Bill O'Neill and uh, the, the legacy that he truly has left in so many people's lives um, and certainly for Investors Business Daily and our readers. Uh, so we'll we'll talk about that as well as markets and a few stocks that are on Scott's radar. So Scott, let's get right into it. And um, uh, what do you want to start with, the, the NASDAQ or the S&P 500? What do you think? Do we start with the best or do we start with the worst? Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's start with let's start with the best, you know. Okay, and, and then, then I think we'll, it's the Nasdaq, right? Yeah, or the yeah. or, or, or the even NASDAQ the, the Nasdaq 100, <laughs> if you really want to amp yeah. it up, right? I guess it's uh, you know, it, it's uh, S and P of one. You know, there, I think there was a day where the S and P would have been down if not for Nvidia or something like that. So oh, I'm you know, sure. it's yeah, very narrow and and. I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit about the narrowness. Uh, you know, I I know that historically narrowness is not a good sign. You know, it tends to lead to uh, um, some major tops. If you go back and study, as as markets get more and more narrow, they they uh, it becomes a problem eventually. But I I don't know. Maybe it's just the recency of it. But the, you know, everybody in in their Uber driver knows how narrow the market is. Mm -hmm. So. I'm not sure if it's that great a signal anymore at, at this very moment. It, I I don't know. I'm a little bit torn because it just seems like everybody is talking about how narrow the market is, whether it's a podcast, whether it's Twitter, whether it's a Substack, and um, you know, the, the contrarian in me seems to think, well, if 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 everybody knows it, it's in the price already, right. and therefore it's probably not that great a signal. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 uh, it's it's a difficult market. It's not as um, not as easy or as great as as it would seem. I think if you had given me this chart of the Nasdaq and said, "Okay, Scott, when is this?" Right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this was this was twenty five years in your trading history. There, the Nasdaq was doing this. How, what do you think you were doing? Do you think you were using margin? How were you, you know, way out on the, uh, the limb fully invested? And, I, and based on just this NASDAQ chart, it would be a clear yes. But mm -hmm. um, that's, that's not the case. I've, you know, I, I haven't been uh, that pedal to the metal um, a, a lot. It, it, picking and choosing my spots and, uh, hit, you know, a lot of hit and run <laughs> because... Right. It you know I'm I'm a little fearful that it you know they'll pull the rug on it right and you know especially I just changed it to weekly view and I I gotta agree with you here Scott I mean if you you showed me this chart I would think yeah this is this is the time where you want to be heavy because after a bear market 
a lot of times that bounce is is so powerful and you can get you know so much traction there and we certainly started to see that at the beginning of the year in january where it just seemed like there was a lot more broader participation um if we look at the advanced decline line on the nasdaq um we, we use the ticker symbol gmiaa here and you can really see that in january you had a marked difference in the breadth of the NASDAQ composite, but that very uh, quickly kind of, well, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm on a, I'm on the NYSE right now. Let me New York, yeah. switch that to- uh, I think it's more pronounced the NASDAQ, on the NASDAQ. GMIAB uh, on the NASDAQ. Yes, um, you know, right here in January is where it had a nice uptrend, but the downtrend has been really persistent here uh, for, for the NASDAQ. Uh, not not as much uh, of a persistent downtrend for the NYSE, but uh, again, with the leading index being the NASDAQ, you certainly wouldn't expect um, this this narrowness. And you know, getting back to your point, I mean, you, you, you look at the chart itself and you would just expect uh, a lot more of an easier time uh, than it's than it's been. For sure, yeah. It's Microsoft, it's NVIDIA, even Tesla is starting to perform again, Apple. I mean, I, I yesterday I was looking, I was a little bit uh, shocked. I mean, Apple is at a 52-week high. Right. And it's within, I think, a, a couple of dollars of an all-time high. I think there was a time where it printed like 182 very briefly, yeah. So yeah, 182.94 back in January of 2022. So, it, you know, it's... It's hard to be, you know, I know it's not, it's Apple and it's very narrow and it's, I don't know how, I haven't been in Apple in a long, long time. I've missed this one. I've always in the last period in wrong ways, you can see Apple's gone nothing but up, but I always felt it was over-owned and a bit waterlogged and that it would yeah. just be a, a market performer. Mm -hmm. So if yeah. the NASDAQ was up 10%, you might make 12 in Apple. And if the NASDAQ was down 10 you'd probably lose 12 in Apple, you know, but uh, so far this year, um, Apple has <laughs> been dead wrong. And, and, and I, don't, I don't think you're alone in that assessment. Yeah, I think that was kind probably of... why it did what it did is because <laughs> exactly. we were all, we all thought the same thing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, um, yeah, because I was, I was, I was right there with you. So now part of this, you, you, you could, you could argue, well, if, if that's the way this market is, why fight it? Why not just own uh, the stocks that are working. If it's a narrow market, you know, just just own the narrow stocks, uh, the the ones that are working. Is that is that feasible? Sort of. I, I I think so a little bit. As an individual investor, if you're managing your own money, you have a lot more flexibility. You can get in and out a little bit uh, quicker. And yeah, and 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 I said it on IB Live, and it's it's again, it's a little bit tongue in cheek, a little that you know. Obviously, it's better if we have um 500 great stocks to choose from and then i want to try to find five to eight stocks mm -hmm. um if they're if i'm only going to own five to eight to maybe 10 stocks max why do we need massive breadth right and mm -hmm. food for thought but i i understand the idea that with with breadth comes more options right but you just but have also, to i think it's also a kind of an odds game your odds of finding a winner are a little bit better when there's 500 winners to choose from as opposed to 10. <laughs> For sure, I guess the old bag of marbles uh, game, right? You know, exactly. <laughs> if, yeah. uh, if, if you're going to choose, if you're going to choose red ones, it's nice yeah. to have a lot of red ones in the yeah. bag. <laughs> Which bag would you rather? There's a bag with 80, 80 red and 20 blue, or 50, 50, right? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah, for sure. But yeah, I, I and I, I've been doing that a little bit. Like there was a, a few days ago, I owned uh nvidia asml uh micron and i was i was thinking you know they're all one and the same uh if if nvidia goes down 10 percent micron uh asml marvel i even uh, bought marvel very briefly mrvl they're gonna go down 10 percent as well so I might as well just own one. So I, uh, a few days ago, or, or a few trading days ago, I guess, uh, maybe Thursday of last week, I just switched it all pretty much to Nvidia, mm -hmm. and in it, in you know that way, it's, it's, uh, it's you know, if I, I can manage it a little bit easier, um, and I find, for me, I do much better when I have a 
a larger, more concentrated position. I, I tend to, uh, if I put on these little smaller positions, sometimes they can get away from me because I yeah. just think, oh, well, it's just a small position. Right. So, and this is, and we'll talk about Bill, of course, but I, you know, I, that I learned that from Bill. I've always been mm-hmm. super concentrated because we've all heard the incredible Great. The, the good stories, of course, you know, like the, <laughs> of how the, concentration the, works. For the Bill. Amgen. Yeah. Or the, or the, the price club or the pick and save, you know, I'm sure there was a few where he got concentrated and they turned against him and he got out quickly, mm-hmm. but, we, um, you know, history's told by the winners, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. um, I've always been, you know, more of a, you know, let's be concentrated. Let's have a, 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 a position that can matter if you get it right. And then, you know, you, you have to, you know, put all your eggs in one basket and watch that basket closely. I think Mark Twain said that allegedly. Yeah. And, and that was certainly an adage that Bill uh, frequently used himself. Uh, again, the the idea that uh, diversification doesn't always protect you like you think it does. Um, you know, certainly we, we've seen that in a lot of situations, um, especially crisis situations, you have what's called the correlation of crisis. And the whole idea behind diversification is that you have some things that'll be working and some things that won't at any given time. But what happens in like a financial crisis of 2008 is there, there's nothing good, you know, and it all goes down and the correlation, you know, skyrockets. Uh, I mean, I, I can't remember what it was. I did some studies on this, but the, the correlation was so high in, in 2008, it was incredible. Um, so yeah, if you had diversified, it just uh, didn't didn't help you at all. Everything was going down. Um, Even so. something like gold was probably high, highly right. correlated as well. Because yeah, it just if didn't you matter. need liquidity, <laughs> if you're if you're getting killed in in you know eight eight, you have ten buckets of stuff, and eight of them are really hurting you, but two are really well. Guess what? You know, let's let's reduce those two that are doing really well because we need to, you know, uh, plug some holes in the boat over here. And so eventually they all go down. Right. Yeah. But one of the things I also want to address, I mean, it's you, you mentioned NVIDIA and, and I, I own a position in this myself. Um, it had such a strong move after earnings. Actually, when we were taping for the podcast uh, last week, we were, you know, kind of looking at NVIDIA out of the, out of our side eye, just watching it go up, you know, 20%, 25%. Now it's, you know, we were watching it do, do all this action in after hours. And certainly NVIDIA uh, sparked uh, a big move in the NASDAQ composite, the NASDAQ 100, even more so if we look at uh, QQQ. Um, but we certainly were getting to a point where we were extended. So we saw a reversal on Tuesday, uh, downside reversal uh, or stalling action, uh, if you will. Um, does that kind of does that kind of track with what was expected? And does that mean you you sell into that strength and wait, or do you just kind of say, okay, it's going to come in a little bit. I'm going to hold. Um, how do you how do you handle that when when things get extended like that? And we've been talking about things being extended for a long time. Yeah. And they just kept on getting more extended. <laughs> so usually. So to me, when they gap up, if they're extended and then they gap up, I'm almost always, always like 99% of the time going to do some, if not a lot, if not all selling into that. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, you know, NVIDIA was already strong. It capped up immense uh, on the earnings held that day. So, you know, there was a lot of talk and it still is that, you know, it's overvalued. It's this, is that, it's, it's a bubble, it's all of that. But to me, the price is the price. Mm-hmm. And they voted, the biggest institutions in the world voted and the stock didn't go down. And then the very next day, it didn't go down again. And so you you get these clues, you have to be open. I I understand, you know, the 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 argument that it's overvalued, but um, from a price standpoint, it sure doesn't act like it wanted to go down until, you know, yesterday it gapped up. And at one point, you know, I think it was up maybe 20, 25 points. And because, and this is the other thing about being concentrated, which is, it makes a difference to your portfolio. So you almost have to do some selling, I think. Mm -hmm because the the numbers can get pretty large and 
And then you have to ask yourself like today, uh, what can I withstand? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's the math is cruel. I think the stock's already 10% off the high, uh, right. eight, 8% 8 as we sit here, but uh, so maybe, you know, it, it's almost corrected 10% already in, you know, a session and a half. So, and with a concentrated position, you, you feel that. <laughs> I know what I, I will do. If I don't sell it when it's good, I will sell it when it's bad. So yesterday I did some selling on the open. It was like 405 and I'm doing selling and then it's 410 and I do a little more selling and then it's 415 and it's frustrating for sure because, you know, every time you sell it, it's higher. But if I don't, I know today at one point, you know, it was 385 and I, I'll just be, you know, ready to puke my guts out. And so- mm -hmm. Um, I'm always better off picking some off in, into the strength. And so I think you want, if you want to hold it, pick a number or pick a percentage and say, I'm going to keep 2% and just not sell it unless it really breaks and violates uh, my stop loss or my, uh, my sell rule, or if it's 5%. I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll speak from, from my personal, I don't think you can own, at least for me, more a 10% or more position and not, and not do trimming when it's good. I don't, I've never been able to, I've tried, you know, I've, I've tried the Amgen, you know, the bill story. I've tried it a hundred times in my career, Justin, and, and, and I've never been able to withstand the pain. That's what made bill so great is, is that, you know, that fortitude that, that he had. And, and so knowing yourself is a, is a very valuable um, thing as a trader, because, uh, if I'm going to quote unquote panic at 385, I might as well just panic at 405. It's a much better price. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and, and you know what, I, I want to be clear because again, I, I, I remember looking at the trades of, of Amgen at one point, cause I, I wanted to learn and, and, um, you know, it, it wasn't like it was a single buy at the buy point a hold through this big move and then a sell, you know, when, when things were, you know, crossing the 10 week moving average line, it was hundreds of buys along the way. It was, you know, a lot of adding on the way up, um, uh, some, some trimming as it, you know, came in, uh, and then adding those shares back. It was, it was a lot of bending with the breeze as opposed to single decisions, um, putting it all in at once. It was it was building up the position, trimming it back, building it up again, trimming it back, and then eventually, you know, getting out while the getting was still good. So uh, it's it's definitely not as uh, simple as we sometimes make it sound. It's uh, it's a lot of you know small decisions all along the way. Yeah, I, I know Charles and Mike when they shared an office with Bill said they would hear him on the phone in the old days when you call an order. Yeah, and they knew that he had tens of thousands of XYZ already, and he'd buy a hundred shares. Exactly. And they thought, well, what, what's that, what's that going to do? You know, a hundred shares on a $30 stock even, you know, yeah. sometimes, you know, but if he did that 47 times over the next yeah. six months and the stock doubled, you can see yeah. how it just compounds. And, and that, when I heard that it made me feel very much better because that's exactly what I do. I, I might buy a stock a dozen times, just, just, you know, just kind of picking at it, picking at it, picking at it, building the position, um, that same way, obviously not in the same size, uh, as, as a Bill O'Neill, but, you know, relative to, to, to my account size, you know, same yeah. from a percentage standpoint, you know, trying to do, um, you know, the same thing. Yeah. Um, so you know what, we'll go ahead and take a break real quick. And when we come back, we're going to share a few more stories of Bill, the way he invested and again, the legacy that he left uh, with, with such a, a great life that shared so much knowledge with so many people. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Trading Apple. Sometimes you get the bear. Sometimes it gets you. Single stock daily leverage and inverse ETFs from Direction. Before investing, carefully consider a fund's objectives, risk, charges, and expenses contained in the prospectus at Direction.com. Read carefully. Welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast. It's Justin Nielsen, and joining me this week is Scott St. Clair, who is the manager of our 
premium products group uh, at Investors Business Daily. So uh, Market Smith is is kind of the, his little baby uh, that he helps with. And again, he's kind of filling in for Arusha this week uh, for our We Time episode, just as he filled in for Arusha uh, as as the Market Smith manager. Um, but you know, as as I mentioned earlier, uh, we did lose our founder, uh, Investors Business Daily's um, you know chairman and founder for for so long in. Uh, uh, this weekend, uh, this Memorial weekend, Bill O'Neill passed away, and uh, he was he was 90 years old. Um, I worked as his assistant from September 1999 um, until he retired. I kind of came in and out. Um, you know, I was managing the day-to-day -day stuff early on, uh, and then I would do special projects for him. But I kind of held a, a role as his assistant for you know for 15 years. Um, and I mean, I'll just share real quick that. When I got exposed to his book, How to Make Money in Stocks, it was after I had already gotten a job at Investors Business Daily. Um, I was a customer service agent uh, to start. I did not know a single thing about the market. I didn't know what the Dow Jones Industrial Average was, um, but I got hired uh, for the job. It was supposed to be a one-year job that I was going to do and then move on into teaching. And um, I read the book and I was just, uh, you know, I, I got the book when I was, uh, uh, when I was hired, I read it and just absolutely fell in love with it. I just thought it was so interesting. And we were talking at the break. I think one of the things that just kind of struck me was uh, the belief like, oh, you know, it, here's like the instruction manual. And this <laughs> this seems like something I can do. Um, and, you know, that's that's where it where it started. And I had the benefit even while I was in customer service and I had moved into an education role after a year. <laughs> Bill O'Neill would come down and, um, you know, give us instruction because he really looked at customer service as the front line of finding out what the customers were thinking, what was what, what their struggles were. So he was always very curious to find out what was happening in customer service to kind of get that sense from from customers. Um, and in fact, when I first started working, um, I was was a little shocked because I was training and I'm taking phone calls and a few desks down, there were these big long tables and every now and then a little light would come on. And what was happening is that CNBC was running commercials for us for two week free trials of the paper. And Bill O'Neill wanted to try something out uh, rather than having a outside company take those calls and just drop, drop people's names down. Um, he wanted to find out a little bit more about the customer. And in order to do that, he wanted to take those in-house, but with all those people calling at once, we didn't have the manpower to, to take all those calls. Uh, so what he would do is he would gather everyone in the building almost. <laughs> so Bill <laughs> O'Neill would be on the phone, Scott O'Neill, his son, who was the publisher at the time, uh, Wes Mann, the editor-in-chief, Chris Gessel, uh, writer of the big picture. Um, it would just be, you know, you would call this 800 number from CNBC and you could potentially be speaking to Bill O'Neill. He would answer the phone and take down your information to send you a two-week free trial and he'd talk and say, what's, you know, wh why, what made you call? What, what is it that you're interested in doing? What kind of uh, investing do you do? Um, so again, that was, that was when I first started, uh, and I just really got the sense of, you know, certainly he didn't feel like this was beneath him, you know, to take the phone calls. So as a customer service agent taking a hundred calls a day, I'm like, well, you know, uh, I, I can take these calls because Bill O'Neill's sitting right there taking calls <laughs> along with me. Um, what about you, Scott? What, what's something that kind of struck, struck you as, as you, you know, started working for the, for the firm, you certainly had had a lot more experience in the market at the time that you started uh, working for the firm. Yeah, I, I started out as a stockbroker, a lot like Bill. Bill started out as a stockbroker. Mm -hmm. uh, Bill started out, you know, with no clients, cold calling, just like I did, you know. Was, uh, and I was at a firm, and and I was struggling. You know, I was making maybe six hundred dollars a month. Now, you know, this was in the mid nineties. Uh, so 600 was a lot more then than it is now, but it was uh, not a lot. And um, I was pretty, you know, um, you know, 
ready to quit. I, I just, I wasn't, you know, I just didn't get it. I wasn't doing it well at the firm I was at. And a friend of mine at, knew that I was going to quit. And he says, I have a friend that's interested in training somebody, you know, are, are you interested in going to work for him? And at that point I was interested in anything different. So he called me and um, he says, go get this book called How to Make Money in Stocks. And so uh, I, at the end of the day, I got in my car and I drove to a bookstore because that's what you did in 1995. Yeah. <laughs> and I had to go to three bookstores to find it. And then I, I got the book, the white edition, and mm -hmm. I went home, started reading it. And then he, he called me and, and was mentoring me a little bit. And then he says, I'll never forget. He says, pull up XYZ. And I said, well, I don't have a quote machine, you know, because mm -hmm. we're... Where we sat, quote machines were expensive. And so we had one that sat on this rotating desk in the middle. There was four brokers that looked at each other while we smiled and dialed. And you would share the quote machine. And there was like a senior broker who, you know, since he was a senior broker, he dominated the quote machine. I said, I can't, I don't have a quote machine. So I had to beg the senior broker, can I look at the quote machine, please? So I turned around and he says, watch XYZ, it's going to move. And I said, how could you possibly know that? Nothing, you know, where we were at, nothing ever moved uh, except down. And the stock was breaking out of a base. And so he knew it, it, would, it would have a little bit of ump probably out of the base. And it went up. I don't remember a little bit, a few percent. But just the fact that it went up and I was just like mesmerized that this could happen. So I read the book. I went to work for him. I started to immerse myself in the system. I would go to live events with Bill and David Ryan. Mm -hmm. uh, I I distinctly remember paying I think five ninety nine for the very first one, and then the next one was not was five hundred ninety nine dollars. Then the next one was half off. I think mm -hmm. if you ever went again, it was always half off. Yeah. So you know, I used to get Bill O'Neill and David Ryan for you know th for a weekend or you know Saturday mm -hmm. for a, a few hundred dollars. Um, what an amazing experience. And so I, I just, just started, you know, doing it. And then, you know, look, it was 1995. We were in a big bull market. So, you know, don't confuse brains with the bull market. But I believed, Bill had me believing that I could do it, that I could make big money in the stock market, that I could change my life. Remember, I'm getting a check for $600 a month. Um, ready to quit and do anything just to survive. And, and I just, I just believed him, you know, I just felt like he was, he, he, he was showing you the, the way to change your life. So fast forward, it's uh, March, 1995. And I get my first kind of real check. Um, I got a check for $5,000. Uh, and um, I put 3,500 of it in the stock market. And mm -hmm. You know, can you imagine? It was the, all my net worth, but I wanted it all in the stock market. And you know, you you buy a stock here and you buy a stock there, and and all of a sudden, it's working, it's working, and I'm putting more money in. And um, you know, I'm using tremendous margin at this point, and I took my account up a zillion fold. It was just an incredible year in 1995, and um, it is. Owe it all to to Bill. I mean, I, I, me and I was telling you before, you know, off air. Me and Arusha used to joke that you know he he should have kept this to himself. You know, cost <laughs> 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 himself a bloody fortune sharing this with everybody because uh, you know he it, it, he probably could have just uh, had hired a a, a team of uh, traders and had him sign an NDA and go to work. This is what you guys do. So. Mm. Um, well, you know, a lot of times he would say, actually, this is not my system. This is just the way the market works, you know, yeah. I, and I'm, I'm just, I'm just kind of showing what I observed and, you know, what the data says, but, you know, he would kind of very humbly say, this isn't my system. This is just, this is just what I've observed the market does. Um, and you're, you're, I, I think you're absolutely right. There's two, there's two elements to that. The fact that he shared this with everyone and, you know, not only that, but I mean, how quickly when he would learn something new, 
how quickly he would share it with so many people. Again, yeah. not holding it. Uh, you know, I remember in the aughts when, you know, we had we had this database going back to the 60s of all of these stocks, right? And you could just pull up anything and it was amazing. And then he went back and, um, you know, th this was, I, I think we we had used some of the, the data from the uh, Chicago Business School. Um, they had some data going back for like RCA and some of the original Dow components going back to the 20s. And, and it was monthly data. And he was fascinated by like this data that we got from them for, for some, uh, some projects that we were working on. And so what he ended up doing was filling in this back data going all the way to the 1880s. So he could see charts, some of these for the very first time of what these stocks looked like in the 1880s, 1910s, um, you know, and, and everything. The, the charts that weren't printed at the time that were just the, the, little, the little boys writing on chalkboards, you know, to make the visual image. Um, <laughs> and almost as soon as this data was complete, we were pumping out this, <laughs> pumping out these charts for people, you know, and one of the first things he did was in the fourth edition of how to make money in stocks. That's the orange book or the green book uh, with a little bonus chapter. He printed a hundred charts. Uh, some of these going back to, to that time. So yeah, the, that willingness to share the information and let's be honest. I mean, starting a paper is not a, uh, is not an inexpensive venture. Uh, it, it's, it's something that is very capital intensive. Um, and if he had decided in 1984 to just keep that money and invest it <laughs> in the stock market, and uh, you know, he would have been in a very different uh, place. So, you know, you see a lot of these folks that are, you know, on, on the Forbes, uh, Forbes list and stuff. And, you know, I don't know where Bill fell in that, but there were a lot of decisions that he made that were not really for the personal wealth gain. They were for getting the information out. Um, so yeah, that sharing aspect, as you said, Scott, huge. I think it, I, and I hope it was Charles Harris because I, I, it was, I think it was Charles who said that Bill once told him that IBD was the one stop loss that he didn't never honor. <laughs> 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 he kept throwing good money after bad. It, 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 so yeah. uh, he, he proved he was human with uh, IBD. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, and you know there was a there was a different reason for it. You know, it was it was more of a, a way to give back and and help he always had a soft spot for the little person right because you know that's you know he grew up from humble beginnings uh you know born in oklahoma uh you know dust bowl time period depression era you know he, he was born in 33 so um you know he kind of saw that that devastating part of what happened in america um and you know and 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 so many of the parents at the time and you know i mean his his dad left at an early age and so he was raised by his mom and a, a, a an aunt that i know that he was very close with and um you know he had to get jobs uh when he was very young you know uh, so he always had a respect for the little jobs right getting a paper route doing anything you can to bring in extra money so that you can better yourself and um you know certainly it was it was one of those things where he he grew up from that standpoint knowing that it could be done and wanting to help other people that were again willing to put in the work because that was another part of it he was very clear that this is not something that they're going to hand you on a silver platter uh it does require work it does require study and you might not get it after the first year uh you you might have to slog along learning some of these lessons and make mistakes um before you really um you know get it get it nailed down and even after you get it nailed down there are still going to be curveballs that come your way uh that that throw you around and it's it's one of those things that you constantly have to be learning so. yeah the mistakes part is key i know arusha talked about on ibd live and if if anyone out there didn't get that chance to watch the segment you guys did on ibd live yesterday i believe yeah. Um, I, I, it's on YouTube and it's on IBD. You can find it. But uh, David Ryan and David yourself, Ryan did a very touching. Yeah, David uh, Ryan was awesome. Jim Ropel mm -hmm. was great. Uh, Charles, mm -hmm. it was really, really good. It, it was put together. You know, 
piecemeal last second. Allie's calling everybody, but it was it was really really good. So um, I'd encourage everybody to um, to watch. And Rusha texts me. He's like, "How come you're not on this?" And I was I was like, "I don't know, Rusha. I, I don't want to." I don't know what, if there's anything I could say that you guys haven't already said so much more eloquently than I would ever say it. I didn't want to didn't want to ruin the moment. And I never interacted that closely with Bill like you yourself or Charles. When I was on the portfolio management team, Bill was he was, you know, he was basically retired. So it was more Scott O'Neill and Steve Birch, mm-hmm. um, who have obviously a tremendous um interaction with bill scott is bill's son and but steve has worked for the company forever um but the and i got off track a little bit i'm sorry but what i wanted to say when i mentioned scott on me reminded me is the 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 mistake part because that's what i really love about um bill's system versus not everyone on wall street but a lot of them you know they, they never honor their mistakes they just let them um you know, go by the wayside or ignore them. And it, this is a mistake filled game. It's very, yeah. very different. This is like baseball. That's why Bill loved baseball. Mm-hmm. You can go to the baseball hall of fame and be wrong six and a half times out of 10. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if you get on base three and a half, four times out of 10, you're one of the best baseball players in the history of baseball. And that's a lot like how investing is, but Scott O'Neill tells a great story. He, when he started as a portfolio manager, when he had company money, it was in 2000, sometime in 2000, the market had already topped. Yeah. You know, he didn't know that at the time, but it, 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 you know, in hindsight, it had topped. And he was trying stocks and getting stopped out and trying and getting stopped out. And he said, I'd, I'd put a little probing position here and there and it would get stopped. And he was frustrated and he went to his dad and, he's, and he said, you know, I'm, you know, I'm just you know, everything I try just kind of blows up. And he's that. And Bill was like, well, this is good. You're learning how to lose. (laughs) So so there's, you know, I started in a time where it was, you know, it was great. It, 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 uh, it was tremendous. And I went on a huge run, but I learned how to lose in 01, 02, 03. That was when it was a little bit tough for me. I had like a a tougher period then. Mm -hmm. Um, And Scott, learned you know in the beginning although he obviously had been investing in his own yeah account. He, had, he had been investing for a long time but this was yeah. the first time he was investing with bill's money company, you know company with money. someone it's a, else's that's money. a little different psychologically it's a little different that's, right. that's a whole nother yeah. podcast let me tell you <laughs> running your own money and running other people's money and i have experience in both uh that's that's a 10-part series if you guys ever <laughs> want to do that I, I have a lot of thoughts on that but uh-huh. Yeah, so learning how to lose is is the very humbling game, and 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 I think that's why Bill was so good at it because he was so humble. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, there 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 absolutely is that humbleness, um, and and the recognition that you're if if you if you manage your risk properly, that you can have six six losses out of ten and still make a fortune. You know, and and that was that was one of the big points that he made to me a number of times. Uh, I remember there was uh, one of the times that I was accompanying him. He was uh, speaking on Cudlow and Kramer. Remember, Larry Cudlow mm-hmm, and Jim yeah. Kramer had a show together, um, and we had flown out. Um, at, we were at one of those advanced investment workshops that you mentioned. I think it was seven ninety nine at the time, um, <laughs> and you know he was in New York, and uh, we took a little side trip to uh we flew out early so that he could be on Cudlow and Kramer uh to their studio in in New Jersey and you know we were chatting a little bit and you know he'd ask me about what was going on in my portfolio and I you know was sharing how I had round tripped a lot of things and he asked why I wasn't taking my profits at 20% and you know I was saying oh well I just thought that one was going to be a big winner I thought it was going to be a 100% winner and he's like you know, what, what is it about you that you think everything you touch is going to be gold? You know, that, you know, he said, I've been doing this for, you know, almost 50 years and I make mistakes all the time. You know, I, you know, I expect three or four out of 10 stocks to be losers, you know, and that maybe I'll get flat or a small gain on three or four. And it's going to be one or two that are those big ones that make the difference. Um, 
So you said, you know, you can't treat everything like it's going to be that, that big, big killer stock for yourself. Uh, and it, it just, you know, reminded me again of kind of my place in things and, um, you know, the recognition that you, you put on a lot of different trades and then you kind of let the market tell you, oh, you've got a big one here. It's, it's that feedback that you get, um, that can really, you know, tell you when things are, are different. Um, so, um, but yeah, I, I think, I think we could both agree. And, um, many of our listeners out there that, you know, what Bill O'Neill started, uh, back in 1984 for the paper, but really back in 1963, when he started William O'Neill and company, uh, started giving data to institutional investors, eventually starting daily graphs for more of the retail investor in the early seventies, um, culminating in the, the paper in 1984, uh, the, the, the multiple seminars that he gave. Um, I remember that, you know, again, he was doing those seminars for such a low price. Again, considering you would get David Ryan there with, with him or mm -hmm. one of the portfolio managers. And then there was a period of time where, you know, shortly after the book came out, um, how to make money in stocks or even the successful investor, he would go out and he would do free seminars. He would just go out and you know, say, you know what, I want to, I want to talk to people and find out what, you know, especially after the financial crisis, he knew that so many people got hit so hard. He just wanted to find out what was going on, you know, what, you know, what they were struggling with. And so he was doing free seminars. He'd speak for three hours for free. Um, and this was in the two thousands, uh, after, you know, he was already established. He didn't have to do that, but, uh, he wanted to get out there and get the message out and help people. Um, so it was just, uh, again, really, really amazing how dedicated he was to improving the lives of so many people. So any final thoughts there, Scott? No, no, I think it's well said. Um, um, uh, you know, sad day with life well lived. And uh, we, we um, I just I think I just want to say thanks. I guess that's the best thing to say. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I just think of the the trajectory that my life is on now um, and and how much he impacted that trajectory. Um, you know, you, you, you think of, uh, you know, those those meteors that can, you know, knock something off course in the in the cosmos. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm just I'm just grateful that the 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 meteor that was or maybe the asteroid or planet that was Bill O'Neill, um, you know, kind of hit this little meteor and uh, <laughs> you know, put me on the course uh, that, that, that I was on. So um, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the stocks that are on our radar right now. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Trading Tesla. Sometimes you get the bear. Sometimes it gets you. Single stock daily leverage and inverse ETFs from Direction. Before investing, carefully consider a fund's objectives, risk, charges, and expenses contained in the prospectus at Direction.com. Read carefully. Welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast. It's Justin Nielsen here, your host, along with Scott St. Clair, who's filling in for Arusha as my partner in crime for, for the little wee time. Scott St. Clair, of course, uh, is one of the managers at uh, our premium products group, or I, I should say not one of the managers, the manager, but also one of the coaches. Um, he's he's done a lot of different jobs for us. Uh, he was, was a portfolio manager at one point. Um, just always seems to pick up those scraps, as you said, of Arusha's. Uh, so here <laughs> he is again. Um, but yeah, let's talk a little bit about some of the stocks that are on your radar. And uh, let's, let's start with Pat. Um, now, of, of course, the computer software enterprise uh, group has really been uh, one of those, you know, come back from the dead you know, stories. Um, I mean, the computer software enterprise group, I'm just going to, I'm going to pull up the group real quick and show what this group looks like. Cause I, you really see how in 2021 this topped and just got decimated uh, as a group here. Um, but let's take a look at past. Um, this certainly was was right there in terms of the down the downtrend move what what about this intrigues you about a, po a possible comeback here for path there are a number of things that what you showed from the weekly is you know it's corrected a lot and that seems to be kind of the mo in in the last 10 15 years i studied a lot of ipos um if the ipo base doesn't work if it takes out those lows like this one did um it takes a while, like a number of years for them to kind of round out and come back. 
Some of them do not come back, but the mm-hmm. ones that do, like a Ring Central or a Twilio or, 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 um, trying to think of oh, Team. Team was a, mm-hmm. a you know, right, it didn't Atlassian. quite correct as much as this, but yeah, Atlassian. But they turn out to be tremendous winners because you have that that new right. So Path is is new. You know, they've gone public within the last kind of you know five six year window, which is. What we're yeah, looking for almost at the top is, is where their IPO came out of <laughs> the well, computer software enterprise. That's yeah. kind of the problem with the IPOs is it's like right now you, there are very few IPOs, right? right. Mm-hmm. So because you know at least coming off of a bear market, it's hard to go public. The the, the investment bankers are a little bit uh, probably um, you know more stingy as far as the quality. Um, when you're in the midst of a tremendous bull market, you know anything can go public and so it's hard to separate the wheat from the chaff. And that's why the bear markets do that job for you. So we've had this bear market uh, last year. And so the ones that come back are very interesting to me. Now, Path is, you know, it's got a little bit of that AI in there. So you, mm-hmm. yeah, you, that's both good and bad. It's, it, you know, you, you have a little bit of hype maybe, but they announced earnings and the stock gap down uh what about four trading days ago was down as much as or closed down 11 percent was down uh, as much as maybe 15 percent earnings were up 467 percent which is pretty good obviously the revenue was it was okay 18 percent, not great but it was okay but the stock didn't keep going down and that's interesting to me because i really you know I don't know who said it i'm stealing it from somebody but if a stock is supposed to go down and doesn't it's probably a buy and mm-hmm. work, works the other way. If it's supposed to go up and doesn't, it's right. probably a sell. So, you know, the stock reacts poorly to the earnings. It should go down or stay down and it doesn't. It's gotten back all of that move and then some in three trading sessions. So that looks like a pretty good shakeout to me. Like somebody out there, I don't know who it is, but somebody institutional use that weakness in the stock to to either increase their position or build their position so um that that type of strength is very uh intriguing to me i do own the stock i bought it yesterday uh i'm you know shoot first investigate later uh so i'll i'll get my starter position five six percent something like that and then if it can go up i I actually bought a little bit more today to increase Mm -hmm. the position and um and then if it starts to work, maybe I'll investigate a little bit more. Like, you know, what do they do? Why, why could this be a big winner? I think, I think um, Kathy Wood has spoken about this stock uh, as far as the software and the whole AI thing. So, you know, I might watch um, her videos, see what she says. And, you know, I'll, I'll kind of go down the rabbit hole this weekend, uh, you know, barring some, uh, you know, major change in the in the price action in the next day or two mm-hmm. now when when something is off so much i mean you know this is this at least is back above its 200 day moving average line arguably um kind of this bottoming base formation uh do you have like an expectation of uh, are you like oh this could get all the way back to 80 where you know where it topped out or are you just kind of more of a take it as it take it as it comes yeah, I think you know the answer to that. <laughs> <I'm>, Rhetorical, <laughs> nearly. Yeah, exactly. Don't ever ask a question that you don't know the answer to, right? Isn't that one of the... <laughs> or that I learned you that in mock hear. trial. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, if it goes to 80, I, uh, unless it went to 80 uh, tomorrow on a buyout, I, I won't be there for 80. So, I, I, yeah. you know, I, I treat it just like any other trade. Uh, I'm, my goal almost always is... You know, because of the size, I'm going to use. They they get up 15, 20 percent. Um, I'm normally looking to take some, if not a lot of it, off. I kind of have a rule of of you know, for for every four stock. Imagine I owned um, eight stocks, and they were all up 20 percent. Boy, that'd be a, that'd be incredible. I don't think that's ever happened to me, but let's just imagine. I probably would sell six six of them completely down, just gone. And uh, I might keep one. And then the other one I might trim to a smaller position. So I'm out there trying to hit a home run. Every one, every one in eight winners, which is probably means like every one in 
20, 25 trades really that I'm going to hold on to and try to keep it for uh, a really big win. Uh, you know, it, it's hard for me. I'm, I'm, I just have a trader mentality. I tend to like to ring the cash register. I, I like to, I like to be in things, you know, unfortunately for me, I, I made my living from the market for a long, long time. You know, right. I was a stockbroker, but I wasn't a very good stockbroker, Justin. I was too busy <laughs> trading my own account, you know, <laughs> to be building a book. So, um, you know, I, yeah, I was, uh, you know, eat what you kill. And so yeah. you tended to, to turn it over, turn it over and, you know, and develop a little bit of bad habits. Unfortunately, I've tried to kick those since I moved partly why, um, I really, um, wanted this to work at William O'Neill IBD so so desperately is to really kind of get back on the bike, so to speak, relearn those rules, kind of kick those bad habits. So um, yeah, I, I still tend to to be a seller into strength, but every once in a while uh, I'll keep something if I, if I know the story, if it has institutional sponsorship, if the earnings and sales, it's got to be really good for, for me to want to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, let's go ahead and uh, switch gears a little bit, not too much though, uh, and and talk about Monday.com. Now, Monday uh, is it, it's kind of productivity software, also in the computer software enterprise area. Um, this is uh, based in Israel, and uh, you know, besides the stock, I mean, the stock's been on my radar for a little while. You can kind of pass some billboards every now and then where they tout, you know, how many hours they save people with their with their software, but more recently, um, the, the the video team uh, Ali has has led them into the Monday.com era, and a lot of their stuff is on uh, Monday.com. So as part of the podcast, uh, a lot of the information that I'm putting in and we're tracking uh, does go into Monday.com, and it's 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 funny because I, I look at it and um, you know our editors have stuff in there, and um, you know all the different members of the the, the production. Um, and there's there's things that they put in there to kind of motivate each other. And, you know, there's a lot of emojis and uh, you're on fire and, you know, all, all these things. So it's it, it's very interesting. It's a very different uh, kind of way of, um, you know, productivity, but it, it works for a lot of people. And, um, you know, I'm just using a very, very small part of it uh, for, for the podcast. But certainly what we see is that if you, you know, kind of take a step back here on the weekly chart, uh, this has had a nice um, a nice move uh, off of its 40-week moving average line, um, kind of in 52-week high, you know, new new high territory, if not, you know, still still a ways off those all-time highs. But um, you know, a lot of these stocks, I, I mean, I would I would argue we kind of had an entry here uh, back back around 100 and you know 50 or so. Um, uh, yeah, 156 maybe, uh, and we've we've had a nice run here. I like that there's some some volume coming in on on this upside. You know, you had a really nice big gap up on the earnings after earnings. That was a 16 and a half percent gap, uh, or move up. Um, you know, gapped up and then closed 16 and a half percent up. Uh, and you've really been moving up higher since with that accompanying volume. Um, so. That, that's something that's kind of interesting to see. You've got um, T. Rowe Price New Horizons that is is in there, one of the IBD Mutual Fund Index owners. They've doubled up on their position. Uh, you know, I'm looking at the December 2022 quarter, um, and they had, you know, um, yeah, they, they've, they've doubled up their position in this last quarter. So that's something that uh, kind of speaks highly of them. Um, anything that uh, you you want to add here in terms of uh, the, the the chart pattern or you know, the look. Very, very similar to PATH, right? They go public, it tries to go up, you get a bear market, it, it corrects. Now it's it's held up a little bit better than than PATH. It, uh, I don't know percentage-wise how much it went down, but it it's just kind of that same same uh, um, setup. And I know Kathy, Donnelly, and Eve, and those guys have, you know, did have that book about, you know, these, these types of stocks. The life cycle but, trade, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, thank you. And so- this has acted very good. I think the buy point, you know, you, you know, you, you have to be a little flexible with your buy points was probably 145, 46. That looks kind of like a double bottom double to bottom, me. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it did gap up on the earnings. And so normally I don't like to buy gap 
gap ups on earnings. I like to wait and see if the stock can hold those gains. And what you said is perfect. So it gaps up. Um, and if you wanted to, you know, if you were a seller, stock's up 16%, volume is up almost sixfold. So if you're an institution and you're looking for a place to sell uh, Monday, this is it, right? You've got the volume footprint, you've got your chance and nobody steps in to really sell it. So that, that I think that was, if you missed the 145, you know, around 158-ish or so. And, you know, right here, it's a little bit extended for sure, but it, it's, if you own it, you leave it. It's acting really, really well. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's go ahead and round out the discussion with uh, CrowdStrike. Now, computer software security, its it's been one of those areas where if you look at the, the industry group ranks from, let's say, three months ago and look at them today, you know, computer software security has come a long way. So um, we certainly know that this is a group that's here to stay. You know, we, we, we're always going to need uh, security software for our protection, um, you know, from hackers. Uh, but now that this is back above its 200 day moving average line, what's what's your take on CrowdStrike? Yeah, I, I like the, uh, the quarterly earnings and sales, although they are slowing a little bit, but they're slowing from triple digits. So it's hard to maintain, you know, triple digits, that type of momentum. So they've, they've done a really good job fundamentally. Uh, and now technically this stock, if you go to the weekly, uh, Justin, and this is one of my best stocks in that the 2020 bull market, um, but it was, uh, why am I having a hard time Let's seeing? Go to monthly real quick. Uh, uh, so here's the monthly. So that yeah, so was, move that it had. Yeah, so it was difficult to buy in that it never built a base, mm -hmm. really. I mean, there was like a little cup, but that was after the stock had practically doubled or tripled. Uh, so it was it was one of these ones where I remember it was like I was watching it going up, watching it going up, and I was like, "How do I get into this?" You know, and it just wouldn't build a base. When it was one where you just kind of had to, okay, I'm going to buy it, starter position, probing position, whatever you want to call it and see if it can work. And if it can work, I can add to it. So uh, that's kind of how the stock trades. And so now it's kind of doing the same thing, right? It's coming off the lows, number of weeks up. It built a cuppish pattern, but of course it wasn't long enough to for the pattern to show up. It's mm -hmm. kind of like that's what the stock does. It, <laughs> it just will not let you get this quote unquote perfect buy point. And the, the, they just don't always exist. So. Mm -hmm. um, I've been stalking it, trying to figure out a way to get into it. And, and I've, I've hesitated the last couple of weeks because I've been waiting for this buy point, it never comes. And, and now we're right into the teeth of earnings, right? Earnings are today, uh, Wednesday at the close. So at this point, I'll, I'll wait out the earnings and, and see. And so if it gaps up, I'll wait for sure. If it gaps down, maybe it can do like, like a path did, you know, gap down and then recover. Or even Snowflake, uh, kind of, I'm, th I'm throwing you a curveball here, but Snowflake gap down on, on the earnings and it's trying to recover. Not as strong as Path did, right? But it's trying to recover off of, um, you know, that gap down on the earnings. So that, that would be, you know, kind of the setup that I would look for in CrowdStrike. Great. Well, hey, Scott, I really appreciate you uh, filling in for Arusha. And uh, and also filling in for me because uh, there there are a few times where I've been on vacation and you've uh, come on board, which I think is going to happen in June since I'll be in Europe. So uh, I'm going to say thank you in advance for uh, taking, right. taking one of those uh, <laughs> those episodes from me. Um, ho hopefully you don't push me out though. Uh, you get a lot of positive feedback, and of course, um, folks can see you on your own. Uh, uh, weekly webinar that you do uh is is this just for market smith subscribers or yes it's on the market smith homepage and but it, it does get uploaded to our youtube channel so if you're not a subscriber you can watch on on youtube and and so where would they find that on just the regular investors.com uh, uh youtube it's channel? on the oh uh, no market smith has their own youtube channel okay yeah yeah so mm -hmm. uh if you search market smith you find us on youtube yep 
Wonderful. Um, and then on the show next week, we're going to have Will Ryan back on the show. Uh, Will really helps us kind of uh, knock knock into a little bit of what's going on with the commodities. And uh, so it'll be great to have him on. So I uh, hope you join us for that. Thanks a lot for watching us this week, and we'll see you next time. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.